The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. Our topic today, the Yelpification of Recruiting. Sounds like a rap song. Well, let's see if we can rap about it and fill you in on what we're talking about. I have a great panel today. Let me get started with the topic. The buzz is recruiting. Okay. Acquiring top talent today can be tough. If you're an HR recruiter, a talent manager, anybody trying to staff up a company, you know workers have this job mobility mindset on the move used to be you went to a company and you stay there 10, 15, 20 years, no more. And now there's a rise in aggressive competitive employee poaching. Your competitors are looking out for the same talent you are and they might be offering them a sweeter deal. But there's another challenge that might not be so obvious to you as an employer. It could have even a greater impact and we call it your employer brand. What? Yes, you do have an employer brand. So let's look at how this works. As Customers are relying on social network reviews of your products and services. Should I buy this? What do people say about it? Potential recruits are looking around the web for information, maybe insider information about what is it like to work for your company. They want to know before they apply or before they go into that interview. What will they find? Will it sway them? toward you? Away from you? Will they tell other people what a great company or stay clear, this is not a good one? It may all depend on what your talent leaders, what your HR team are saying about you. Are they helping your brand or... Uh Uh-oh, are they hindering your brand? And what about the employees, your golden employees? Are they serving as ambassadors in what they say about you? Not so sure? Hmm, okay. Let's talk to the experts. I have a packed panel today, and they're going to share their POV point of view and their expertise and help us figure this all out. So first up is a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Tim Sackett. He's the president of HRU Technical Resources. And Tim sent me a very interesting quote from Neo in The Matrix. I did a look looking up, found out that Neo is also known as Thomas A. Anderson, a.k.a. The One and The Anomaly, and played by Keanu Reeves in the Matrix trilogy. Here's the quote. I don't know how this is going to end. I know how it's going to begin. Tim Sackett, welcome. How are you today? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. Delighted to have you. Love the quote. I know nothing about the Matrix, so uh, why don't you initiate me? Tell me why you picked this quote. It's, it's, it's an amazing quote, by the way, regardless of where it comes from, and then relate it to our topic. Go ahead, Tim. Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan of just the Matrix movies, um, but for me, when we talk about Yelpification and we talk about review-based you know, kind of um, you know, systems that are out there, 
it was one of those things where I think we know where we're at right now, and the technology moves so fast that I just don't know if we know where we're going yet, right? So I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know what impact it's really going to have on recruiting long-term. I know what it's having right now. And so for me, that kind of helped frame the discussion um, that we're going to have today. Okay, so we're not sure where it's going, but just in in your thought, is what I said in my opening accurate, Tim? Are more and more recruits checking out, looking basically under the rocks and between the the pages and saying, what's it really like? What what are their habits? What kind of employee happiness or not do they have at that company? Are they searching high and low or just eh, maybe a little bit? What do you observe? Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, what we see right now is that people can, I mean, if you have any wherewithal to find out what the company is like that you want to go to, you have that ability. And it's probably the first time in history that we've really had that ability versus going to kind of our social networks or parents or friends or stuff like that, that we knew that maybe somebody knew somebody that was working there. Now you can go to a place like Glassdoor or to LinkedIn or to even Facebook. And and it's pretty easy to find individuals, real individuals that are working there. And so it's really easy to engage them in that conversation about, hey, what's your experience, you know, that that's working here. So I think, you know, for the first time in history, you know, people really have access to the information they want about the companies they want to work for. Thank you. I, it's just reminding me, I went on an interview years before I joined SAP, interview in, in Manhattan, and uh, I went to this company and, and waited and met with the HR manager or the junior manager, and I said to her, well, how when how long did the last person in this marketing manager role stay at the company? And she said, oh, uh, she said, nobody gets along with the head of marketing. We've gone through five marketing managers in the past two years. <laughs> And I wasn't too keen about continuing the interview. Plus, she spent the entire next hour looking at herself in the mirror on her door behind me. So what can I say? The stuff we wish we knew back in the day, right? That was a, an interesting quest and discovery. Needless to say, I didn't work there. So let's turn to our second panelist. Thank you, Tim. It's Will Staney. He's the head now, new title, head talent warrior at Glassdoor. Will has been on the show earlier this year. I think he was on a couple times when he was at SAP. Now, He's in a new place, in a new position, and here is the quote from Tennessee Williams. Interesting. I have always been pushed by the negative. The apparent failure of a play sends me back to my typewriter that very night. I am more compelled to get back to work than if I had a success. Wow. Will Staney, how are you? Welcome back. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I think it was like a third, fourth time. I love it. I think so. We had to search for you. We found Lisa Holden. She, by the way, shout out to Lisa. Very helpful getting us to connect with you, and we're delighted. So tell me, I think this is Tennessee Williams' first appearance on SAP Radio. Will, the quote, talk to me. Yeah, I think it's really, it's about, um, you know, we're talking about the amplification of recruiting. We're talking about Reviews. I mean, this is not a new notion. It's just being applied in new ways. And I think when we look at uh, the research that candidates are doing, um, I think what's happening is that it, they're doing it like they are with most decisions you make today. Um, you know, they are trying to get feedback, review feedback, same as if before they buy, or buy a book or go see a movie. And I think we as employers, um, we have to be okay with with letting go of that power and, and, and that control and being okay that our employees are going to say things about us online because the fact is is they're doing it regardless. They're telling their friends, their family, you know, um, 
online or offline, what it's like working at your, your organization. And we can't be afraid of people maybe possibly saying negative things because I think it actually motivates us to be better. When, when you're given that mirror and you can really see you know, what are employees really saying, even negatively, about working mm-hmm. here so you can make changes. It, it, it makes you hard at work. And, and I love Tennessee Williams and the way he talked about that uh, in regards to when he writes plays. If one didn't go very well, it, it actually motivates him more to just do that much better on the next one. Well, interesting point, and I, I want to ask you, when companies get bad feedback about a product or service, we all know this, they're supposed to have somebody who is vigilantly watching the social channels, OMG, somebody didn't like our widget, maybe we better do something else, and they write a letter or they send a coupon to the anti-widget person, and they make sure that they make them into a fan for all the right reasons, rather than ignoring or or punishing or being rude. So my question to you is, when you find, and I won't get into this more later in detail, but just for the listeners in this opening segment, Will, when you find that an employee is saying negative, nasty things about you, is it a question of reprimanding the employee, shutting them down socially, or going and having a conversation saying, how can we make this better so that you will become a positive ambassador? What's the action point there? Yeah, I think we, it, it, you add a customer service, a service aspect to HR, both internally mm-hmm. and externally. Um, and and it's, it's treated very similarly, right? So uh, obviously if there is an employee who is sharing proprietary information, who is saying mm. obviously false things, you flag that and there's legal and other, uh, other processes to do that. But I think in general, if you just share with your employees, and I know, again, I think we're going to talk about this even more in depth later, but uh, mm-hmm. where, we, where we say you, know, you empower your employees to say, you know, it's okay for you to talk about what it's like to work here under these you know, certain circumstances and being very clear, having a social media policy, maybe a communication policy around you know, what they can say, not a document about you can't do this, no, 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 but a mm-hmm. yes document, a document of it. Yes, you can talk about what it's like to work here. Yes, you can, you know, you can uh, be honest for what it's like here, but, but please don't share proprietary information. Please make sure what you're saying is true and accurate, things like that. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what, what, what's really important there. Okay. Thank you very much. And we will get into it in more depth. Thank you, Will. Great to have you back. And let's welcome our third panelist. She's also new to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Jessica Miller Merrill. She's the founder of bloggingforjobs.com and she's the president and CEO, very busy lady of Exceptional HR. I'll spell that capital X, C-E-P-T-I-O-N-A-L-H-R. And she sent me the following quote from Jeffrey Gittimer. He's the author of The Little Black Book of Connections and The Little Gold Book of Yes Attitude. And that's what we're talking about today. The yes in the in hiring and recruiting. The quote is, to climb the ladder of success, you don't need more techniques and strategies. You need more friends. Hi, Jessica. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for, for having me on here. Delighted to have you join us. So talk to me. Interesting quote, and, and what does Jeffrey Gettimer mean to you and to our world of HR we're discussing today? Well, Jeffrey Gettimer and his books really go back to when I first decided to start my blog, and I was the director of HR at a large organization. I was trying to find a way to be able to build a pipeline of candidates. And interestingly, Jeffrey Gettimer is sort of a sales expert, and he really focuses on relationships. 
And so I feel like blogs, social media, the Yelpification of recruiting is all about the referral and the transparency economy. So you need more friends to help guide you to make good decisions, purchase decisions as a consumer. And interestingly enough, 81% of consumers are saying now that referrals or friends within their network are helping them make good decisions when they purchase products. And this is the direction that we're moving in recruiting and hiring is that we're crowdsourcing the process of making good decisions about our future jobs or current jobs with a company. And that starts with employment branding. Employment branding is about having a conversation, listening to your community, and kind of setting the tone. And like Will said, letting the group of individuals help guide the conversations because it makes for a better experience and process in the long term. And I'm all about friends and relationships, particularly with the Internet and online. And that is the entire reason that I started my blog, bloggingforjobs.com. Thank you very much, Jessica. Pleasure to meet you. And I'm going to circle back to Tim Sackett. And Tim, you know what's coming. We have the big question of the day. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking or what do you wish you're drinking after the show? Can't wait to hear these little stories. So Tim Sackett first, then Will Staney, and then Jessica Miller-Merrill. Go ahead, Tim. You're up. A Diet Mountain Dew, it's what I always drink. So, I mean, I think I'm known uh, for that. Um, I, and I always put in my, my bio that I, I'm an advocate for a Diet Mountain Dew machine in the office, which I'm the president of the company. I could probably do it if I wanted to, but I'd also probably make myself way more unhealthy if I actually had access to that. So I don't do it. <laughs> I am reading your bio. It says, Tim is a lifelong workplace advocate for Diet Mountain Dew fountain machines and hugs. Do the hugs come with the Mountain Dew or you have to buy those separately? Well, you don't have to pay for the hugs. I give those out freely. But it's, just, it's, it's also one of those crazy things that you never meet an HR person that is advocating for hugs. So, <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. Will Staney, what are you drinking today, or what do you wish? I am drinking some local uh, Pete's coffee in my big bright green glass door coffee mug. Thank you very much. And what flavor is the coffee? You know, I want to know more. Is it is, it, is it, it high is test or what is it? Is, it? it is French roast. And, and it's yes. kind of funny. Uh, Glassdoor actually had a review a while back where an employee uh, actually quit because they didn't like the coffee here. And they left that no. And so what, what do we do? We, we, we fixed it. We got um, several local coffee um, suppliers now uh, in here, even Starbucks. So we have Starbucks, or you can have uh, Phil's, or you can have Pete's um, right uh, right here, uh, freshly brewed. At, and so I'm having some of that. Thank you for that employee who hated the coffee, because now we have great <laughs> coffee every day. <laughs> well, somebody was listening, and somebody cared. That's, That's right. great news. That's what it's all about. This is what we're trying to achieve. Thank you. Jessica Miller-Merrill, can't wait to hear what you're drinking. Tell me. Well, this is what I wish I was drinking, and, and actually I'll be hopefully drinking this later tonight. I, I flew into the San Francisco airport, and I'll be here for the week, and I'm looking forward to drinking some local red wines uh, with some friends and just, you know, kind of kicking back a little bit and, and having a conversation, and, and I feel like it's so important when we're talking to employees or candidates or in our business interactions that we are really taking the time to get to know somebody on a personal level and kind of letting our business guard down a little bit because that's where the real magic happens is, is through conversations and, and just friendships and finding that like relatability among one another. 
Thank you, Jessica. I have to tell our listeners that your bloggingforjobs.com site was listed as a top 75 career resource by Forbes magazine. And not only that, you are listed, is this true, as the seventh most powerful woman on all of Twitter? Jessica. Yeah, well, it is true. There's a number of different sites that that rank these sort of things. And and when I first started on Twitter, seriously, I was had just given birth to my daughter, and so I was on maternity leave for my corporate HR job, and I had a lot of time, uh, a lot of time at 2 a.m. while I was up with with my little girl, and so I really learned how to fall in love with Twitter. And the nice thing about Twitter is that you always have friends with you, regardless of the time. And, and I got to really know some people from Hong Kong and also Australia because their days are, are very much different than ours. So it's it's a great place to be able to connect with so many different kinds of people and, and learn from individuals. Thank you for that endorsement. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's great to know. Yes, you never have to be alone. I teach eBay and, and other tech types of topics at our local adult program, adult education. And I tell people if you're lonely or if you're shut in or you're not feeling well, just go on eBay and start looking for stuff and sending notes to the sellers. And you'll make friends really, really fast, if, even if you're not on Twitter. So there, we have ways of finding people around the clock. Right, Jessica? It's all Absolutely. there all there for us. Guess what? You've all worked very hard. We're going to take a break in just a couple seconds. I want to remind our listeners our topic today is the Yelpification of Recruiting. If you're still not sure what that means, you've got to stick around for the next 45 minutes or so, and we'll tell you again and again because it's an important topic. My special guests today are Tim Sackett, President of HRU Technical Resources, Will Staney, Head Talent Warrior. I love the warrior. Maybe it could be Gladiator, Will. Head Talent Warrior at Glassdoor and Jessica Miller Merrill, founder of bloggingforjobs.com. That's blogging with one G, correct, Jessica? No, two Gs, just a number four, though, um, in the middle. So bloggingnumberfourjobs.com. Okay, good. Bloggingnumberfourjobs.com. Great. I want to get that right. And president and CEO of Exceptional HR without the E in front of Exceptional. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, in case you were wondering, why would you wonder that? Guess what? We're going to take our break. This is season three of HR Trends with Game Changers. If you're keeping count, this is live episode number seven in season three. It's Monday, October 20th. Where is the year going? We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Kevin out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Yes, I think let's get back to HR Trends. That's a really good idea. I'm speaking today with Tim Sackett at HRU Technical Resources, Will Staney at Glassdoor, Jessica Miller-Merrill at Exceptional HR and Blogging for Jobs, that's the number four, dot com. And we're talking about the Yelpification of Recruiting. I think we need to dive into this, into the roundtable. We're going to start with Tim Sackett at HRU Technical Resources, and we're going to do a little bit more level setting. I mentioned just before the break that in case you're wondering what this all means and how it came about, that's what we're going to accomplish now. So Tim Sackett sent me in his notes before the show the following statement. The Yelpification of Recruiting really took off over the last couple of years because the candidate experience took off as a topic everyone wanted to talk about. So... Let's talk about it, Tim Sackett. Let's get started. Roundtable starts now. Go ahead. So, I, I mean, I really, and I think um, some people are going to have, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the opposite, Bonnie, I'm on the opposite side of the candidate experience of most people. We have people on the panel like Will, who's won awards um, at his organizations for having such an outstanding candidate experience. And I, I'm one that, that I think in the recruiting aspect that, you really don't have to do a lot. Um, candidates, for the most part, have really, really, really low expectations, right? They want to know that you receive the resume. They want to know if they're a candidate, you know, if you, if, you, if you like them or not. And then they want to know, like, what the next steps are. And if somebody got the job, please just let me know it wasn't me and somebody else got the job, right? I mean, there's like a mm-hmm. bare minimum. That's all their expectations are. But when, we, when, when organizations like Glassdoor and some of the other ones that are out there started to come out and from a review side... All of a sudden, I think a lot of um, companies began to look at it and say, wait a minute, maybe we should really care about how we treat candidates. Because I say it's easy, but so many companies do such a bad job at it. You know, you send your resume in, you never hear a thing, um, or they'll tell you, like, hey, we received your resume, and then you'll never hear a thing. Um, And so I think once um, this the concept of the candidate experience got out there and became popular, I think most HR pros really took a look at it and talent acquisition pros and said, we have to get better and we have to care mm-hmm. about this. The reasons they care about it, we might disagree or agree to um, when we start really digging into the topic, but I think it became really kind of on the forefront. And then that allowed like you know, the review-based sites like Glassdoor to really become something that companies had to learn how to leverage or, or their candidate experience was probably not going to be to the point where it could be. So do you think uh, that the HR talent folks are overthinking this, Tim? Is, is it that big a deal? Are the candidates really sitting on the edge of their seat and they're looking at their digital clock and saying, oh, my God, it's been three hours and 22 seconds and they haven't told me my resume's there and they haven't told me whether the photo is big enough and blah, blah, blah. Are, are they really that in that a position to, to react that quickly? And should HR be worried about it? What are your thoughts? Well, 
I think HR has to be concerned with it from the standpoint of they have to do the basics right. And that's really mm-hmm. all HR ever has to do, right? I mean, our, we have to make sure we get you know, our pay and benefits to our employees. Those are like the non-negotiables. You just have to knock those out of the park 100%. And I don't think candidate experience is really any different. I think you have to do those basics. Now, what happens is big, big companies um, in the Fortune 1000 spend a lot of money on this stuff. And somewhere along the line, somebody went, well, wait a minute, our candidates are also our customers, right? Mm -hmm. And if we upset them and we don't give them a great candidate experience, then they're not going to be a happy customer and they might not, you know, they might not come back to us, right? So let's take a, let's say like GM, just for an example, right? So GM, somebody applies for a job, they get a bad customer experience, I'm no longer going to buy a GM car. That was the mm-hmm. argument probably two years ago on why we should have customer, you know, good candidate experience. The reality is that doesn't play out. Um, and I give an example all the time. I'm a huge Nike brand advocate. I've, since I was a kid, I loved Nike. Um, and I applied for a position with Nike years and years ago in, in HR department. Never even got a reply. Never mm. even said, hey, we got your stuff. Now, I didn't go start wearing Adidas. I still love Nike. And I think <laughs> we, we overshot in the HR world what that was really, what that concern was with the candidate experience, um, that people were also not going to be customers ours. I worked for Applebee's International and was the head of their recruiting. And we heard the same thing, like, oh, well, maybe when somebody applies, we should give them like a half-off coupon for a nachos <laughs> or for an appetizer. And it was just wow. crazy talk, right? It was like, no, yeah. no, really. If, if somebody doesn't get the job, let's send them a 20% off their dinner coupon or something. And you're just like, no, no, stop. That's embarrassing at a point. And I think companies have gotten to that point where it's become embarrassing on the candidate experience. They, they're trying to overdo each other. And in my mind, it's a waste of company resources because you don't, the, the candidate doesn't expect this. Now, yeah. I, I would argue like on a Silicon Valley type of, you know, where, where Will's trying to recruit, you know, for his organization, it becomes hugely important. Um, when the when the market's very tight in a very small kind of geographical location, when 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 your candidates have so many options to choose for, but I wouldn't say that necessarily is a candidate experience issue. That's more of a kind of a marketing um, issue from that standpoint of saying, hey, we we need to stand out in, in, in place of everybody else. But like I said, I'm probably on the other side of this than a lot of HR people. Well, let's find out what the HR people are thinking and feeling and saying. First up, we're going to talk to Will Staney at Glassdoor and then, of course, Jessica Miller-Maryland. Jessica, thank you for the tweet. She says she's loving her time here on SAP Radio. Jessica, we haven't even gotten started yet. There's more fun to come. So, Will Staney, what do you have to, how do you react to what, what uh, Tim Sackett said? Talk to me. Will? Oh, I really, I mean, I think he did a good job of actually painting the picture on both sides. I mean, it, it's actually hard to tell if he's, uh, for candidate experience or not? I, 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 you know, his, his quote says he's not, but everything he said would totally make sense to me. Like I, I, I agree that um, I don't think candidate experience is like the big thing that you're hearing a lot of buzz around. I really think employee experience is the most important. It should start with your employees and engaging with your employees and really seeing what the experience really is like there, and then using that to attract candidates in. And then when you're when you're doing these employer branding initiatives, I mean, obviously candidate experience becomes important and comes into play because if you're out there talking about what a great employer you are and, and all this, this great stuff, and then they come in here and face-to-face finally meet your employees and step on your campus or on your, in your office, mm-hmm. and that's, there's, 
it, there's not a match there. If they have a bad experience, if your people don't know how to interview well, um, it, it, if they don't have a good experience, uh, it could actually stop you from getting a, a, a good talent that's in your door. Um, so it, it can hurt your rec- it can hurt your recruiting efforts. So it is important to me, and also candidate experience um, on another level, like applying to the job itself. I mean, you've got most of the workforce now um, who are of the internet age, the social media age, the mobile age, they do stuff on their mobile phone. If they go to your career site from a Glassdoor or a LinkedIn, and they can't even apply to your job from whatever device they're on, from their mm-hmm. mobile device or their tablet, um, that's not a great candidate experience because everything else they do in their life can be done from this, but they can't apply to your your company. That's a problem. So that's another candidate experience. I think it has to do with um, not how, just how you treat candidates, but what's the experience of actually applying and getting into the hiring process at your company? Thank you. Jessica, can't wait to hear what you have to say. I'm sure from your vantage point at your various companies, you have a lot. Talk to me. The bar is very low, and, and Tim is absolutely right. I, I believe that it's a balancing act of why the candidate experience is important. I think what is more important right now, as Will sort of alluded to, is t- working and understanding and helping to retain current employees. Otherwise, we're doing what I call filling the linky bucket. So we continue to create this great experience for candidates. We are following up with them. We're sending them emails. We're creating all these wonderful videos. But then once they come into our doors, suddenly the experience isn't what they thought it would be, and they're going on to greener pastures at a competitor or another organization. So right now I, I think the most important thing outside of the candidate experience is to really focus on what's happening with your employees, what their happiness level is, what their engagement level is, and what kind of things do they want from your organization. Is it developmental opportunities? Is it just simply coffee? Are they looking for a flexible work schedule? Simple things like this can really go a long way to keep people at your organization. It is so expensive to be able to find talent and recruit for them, especially as, as we were talking about with Will, like in Silicon Valley, it's crazy the, the amount of money that people are spending um, on headhunters and, and other resources. So let's focus on keeping current employees there, happy, engaged, and, and wanting to work for us. And then uh, let's look at, you know, our employment branding and, and candidate experience on those things. Thank you. I, I have a quick story to share with the panel. I, I left a major corporation in New York to work for a big real estate co- company on Long Island. And I went through the recruiting process and it was, we love you, I love you, everybody loved you, come work for us. It was great, good offer, didn't have to commute to the city. First day of work, I walk in and the woman who shared an office with me said to me, I don't want you here. I feel you're a threat to my job. I wish they hadn't hired you. Good luck to you. Walked out the door. I went in the parking lot. I called my mother. I said, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> we did make friends eventually, and I told her, look, I'm a writer and you're a party planner, so I don't think we're going to have a problem here. But, boy, was that a rough – does that happen? Jessica, you want to just make a comment? What happens when everything's good and you get there and somebody was not able to tell you how bad things were? Qu- quick thoughts on that? Does that still happen today, or was was I the only one? No, that happens all the time. Workplace politics is alive and well, and, and the hiring manager does, or even the recruiter doesn't always have the accurate representation of what's happening in, you know, the little microcosm of an office or a group of cubicles. And it's, you know, it is challenging to make friends. I, I feel like the first 
90 days, six months for a new hire is really critical and and whether or not they're going to stay. And that starts with your peers and colleagues. So having some conversations or maybe checking in with, with those employees, whether they're happy or not, when you're, before you're bringing on a new team member is critical. You would think she would be happy that they were adding a new person because maybe it would offload some of the extra work that, that she was having to do in the interim while they were trying to fill the position that you ultimately took at the company. Yep, thank you very much. Guess what? We're going to go in a slightly different direction, keeping this conversation going about what we're calling today the Yelpification of Recruiting. Big word, but a very simple concept, actually. Will Staney at Glassdoor, I'm looking at the notes you sent me before the show, and I have something I'd love to talk about. And you said, you need a handful of negative reviews in order to be authentic. When consumers see only positive reviews, they suspect, uh-oh, censorship. It's the same system for your employer. Your brand. I can think of people listening and saying, Will, really? You want me to? How negative should we let the comments be? What should we delete? Or talk to me, Will, what's the measurement of how negative is authenticity producing rather than OMG, really? Wow, I'll never work for you. Where's the line? I mean, the thing is, you, you can't really control it. The only way you can control it, you know, as far as letting ne- negative uh, reviews happen, it's, it's it's using those and finding the patterns in those negative reviews to make positive change internally, right? Um, the, the thing is we found that 90% of consumers suspect censorship when they don't see any negative feedback, right? So obviously not everyone's perfect. There is no perfect company. Uh, there will be no – you'll never see a company that has five stars on Glassdoor, 100%, because uh, that's not real. And any company that you see that looks like that um, – most people are, are, are calling foul play, right? Um, and, and the fact is that 61% of job seekers report buyer's remorse. Like they don't, you, you, they, they want to see the negative and positive. One candidate's uh, or one employee's negative review could be a potential employee's positive. Like because they could see that and go, actually, that's something I'm uniquely good at fixing. I want to work there because there's something for me to build and fix there. You know, so it, it's, it's really about what, what do you consider negative or not, right? It, it, it's authenticity, it's transparency, it's getting what it's really like working at that company. So if, if you have to have some of the negative and the positive. Okay, Jessica, thoughts on that? I, I believe that when a candidate applies for a job, they're making a buying decision. So I, I really kind of take the consumerism point of view here. And, and when you're researching whether or not you're going to work for an organization, just like when you're looking at maybe buying a vacuum cleaner or a car, whatever your purchase is, if you see something that has all these fabulous reviews but no one has actually experienced a negative one, you do start to think, you know, is, is this really true or, or is uh, our organizations paying for reviews? One of my favorite uh, writers, his name is Scott Stratton, and he has a new book out called Unselling, and um, he has a podcast, among other things. And uh, one of the very funny things that he did is he went on a site called Fiverr.com, and, and basically you can pay for service, a, a variety of services for $5, and a common practice is for people to pay for a review of your product, service, book, whatever, for $5. So without ever having look at, looked at the product or used the product, this stuff all happens all, all the time. So Scott went out there in promoting his book, and on Fiverr, he paid people to basically say a script that was uttered ridiculousness, that made absolutely no sense, 
in endorsing the book and just kind of made fun of of this, mm. you know, paid a, economy or, or this thing that's happening where people are trying to control transparency. Um, so I, I do believe that having negative reviews is a good thing because you learn, and as Will said, that, you know, if, if the coffee isn't great, maybe coffee is like the least of somebody's problems at a different organization. So you know what? I'll bring my own Starbucks every day and I don't have to worry about coffee. If that's the only thing that somebody is angry or upset about at their office, that's small problems compared to what I'm dealing at the organization that I'm working. Good points. Tim Sackett, got to get you in on this conversation thread. Talk to us. You know, Bonnie, I think Will brings up a great you know challenge for the review-based sites, whether it's for employment or anything, right? I, because we all have our different frame of reference that we put it in. I could be an employee and love where I work, or I could be an employee that gets hired in, in in the same exact company, in the same exact experience, in the same exact department, and think it's the worst place in America to work. And so now as a consumer or as a candidate coming to that and reading both of those, right, one that's great, one that's bad, what do I really think? It's a, it's a really big challenge, um, and I think the challenge is that we still don't have enough data. I mean, when we take a look at, you know, like Glassdoor, which is probably the best one out there for any kind of employment type stuff for, for reviews, even, the, even them, with the millions and millions of reviews they have, when you break it up to all the companies there are, there's still very few um, overall for each company. So it's hard to make those really good decisions. I'll give you an example. When I, when I go, mm-hmm. like, when I travel, I use TripAdvisor when I go and travel. And this summer, I went on a trip, got a hotel that had, you know, pretty good reviews, and I'm thinking, okay, I got a good price on it. And I got there, and I was utterly disgusted at how dirty it was. Mm-hmm. And yet, there was, oh. people, there was people there that, that gave these reviews about how great it was. Well, I don't know. I mean, those people could have come from really dirty environments, and they felt like hey, this is really great, right? It was, Relatively it was speaking, yeah. It was, an up, it was an upgrade for them, but it was a downgrade for me, and I think it's a huge challenge for any of the Yelp, you know, Yelp application-type sites or review sites that we're talking about. Well, I think Very interesting. Yep. Go ahead, Jessica. Say, uh, no, well, so, Will, Will yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I mean, isn't that how it is for the review of anything, though? I mean, any movie, I think most people, when they go to read review content, they do it with, a, I don't know, I don't want to say grain of salt, but they do it knowing that that is one person's experience and one person's, and they look holistically over it all, and they find themes within that. Like, if I'm going to go, mm-hmm. you know, eat at a restaurant, and that restaurant has a lot of reviews, and some people just, oh, you know what, the bathrooms weren't clean enough. And the other one's like, oh, get the spaghetti, it's amazing. I'm, I'm taking all that in, and, and <laughs> I mean, honestly, most people read four to seven reviews before they form an opinion at all. So it, 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 you, you've got four to seven. If, if four out of seven of those are negative, then that, per, that may sway a person's, uh, person's um, you know, thinking uh, or, or how they, you know, or, or their decision. But if two out of seven are negative, I mean, it, it, it probably, they're going to take that with a grain of salt. They're going to weigh the, the odds there. I want to add a, a comment. Just, Jessica, one second. I want to add a comment from, we just, we're getting, we have an active, uh, tweeter here. Thaddeus Howes goes under E. Bond Storm, E-B-O-N-S-T-O-R-M. And Thaddeus says, since everyone's opinion varies wildly, a review can be a subjective experience. It's hard to be sure any review is a good one. Just wanted to bring that in and thank you. We're tweeting. We have a Twitter party going at hashtag SAP Radio. Jessica, talk to me. 
so in my uh, corporate HR career, I had the uh, dubious responsibility of, of managing the mystery shop process for a, a group of uh, grocery store chains. And we had about 120 locations. And it was interesting because uh, these were anonymous people who were paid to write reviews, but they were paid to be able to go and experience the store, look in the bathrooms, you know, was the cashier helpful, all these things. And what I thought was interesting, and even in this environment where you didn't know who the person was, a lot of store managers would accept, instead of taking approaches, like thinking like this is a representation of the entire, you know, at that date point in time for that individual, they would try to game the system. So they would um, say, okay, I'm going to clean the store, put out uh, the flyers and make sure the bathroom's clean for this Thursday because historically we've always had our mystery shops on this day. And and that really kind of defeats the purpose and transparency and having a review process like that. Uh, What was also interesting is some of the store managers that we would deal with who would dispute the reviews, they would actually spend hours going through review tape to be able to see that interaction so they could argue with me about that person who was writing the review being untruthful or lying. I think there's a lot of um, work that is spent and energy that's spent when the problem is that we want to make sure that we have a great environment for our candidates Mm -hmm. and employees, not reviewing videotape and trying to argue with me about whether or not they needed four or five stars for their shop. Good points. I have a question for the panel. I've been told or I've experienced personally, let's say, restaurant reviews, that the people most likely to post a review are the ones who had a negative experience or have a gripe or they weren't tweeted well, treated, tweeted well uh, and something like that, that if you see a lot of negative reviews, it's because the people who are happy may not be accustomed to leaving online reviews. They might not just think it's this. I had a great time. Good. I don't need to tell the world. I'll go back. I'll be another a customer who comes back again. Any thoughts on that way of, of sifting or filtering through that only the grousers and the gripers are the ones to leave negatives? Will, what do you think? I don't know. I, honestly, 70% of the reviews on Glassdoor are, are actually uh, okay or satisfied, right? So, I mean, that, that seems about right. That, that, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem to me that only people wanting to rant or ha- who want to say negative things about their employer are going mm-hmm. on Glassdoor and, and reviews. I mean, overwhelmingly, the majority are okay, satisfied, or, or you know, or above, right? So that's, I, I just don't know if that, I think people when they are, they're put in a situation where they're angry or they are, had a bad experience, you know, can go into that. But I mean, I mean, people are sort of middle of the road for the most part. Okay. Tim Sackett, thoughts on that? How do you agree with Will or me or who, where are you? What you fancy know, it, one? It, you know, Bonnie, it's funny because actually Will and, and Jessica and I were all together a couple weeks ago at HR Tech, and, and Will and I had this exact conversation Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I think it's something that HR folks, and we can sit there and say, let's say like Midwest, I'm in the Midwest. So an HR lady in you know, the Midwest in Decatur, Illinois, um, she's going to think that concept. She's going to think, well, it's just negative, you know, employees that are out there writing. It's not everybody. That's not the typical thing. And I think Will gave the example of it's, it's why, as an HR person, we should encourage all of our employees to go out there and, and write, especially in those times when we know that they're going to have, I, you know, something really, you know, good to talk about. Maybe it's an anniversary date. Maybe it's right after they got uh, their Christmas bonus. Maybe it's right after they got, um, they did their annual review. Um, times that they know that, hey, there's something good to write about and I want to talk about my company and encourage them to go out there. Um, 
because it's in a re- it's it might not be a reality, but it's the perception of a lot of HR folks that that's the case that it's just negative, and so we have to overcome that. And I think the way the way we overcome it is by encouraging all of our employees to go out there and share, um, and we have to do that systematically. You just can't say, "Hey, we give you permission to go do this," and then you forget about it, and then and then they'll, they'll never do it. You know, I think we have to you know figure that out, and I'll give credit to Will for those ideas. Without thank you. And yep. without in trying to influence them and in, yes. in what they're going to review about, right? Yes. You know, like we have a strict policy. You cannot in, encourage positive reviews on Glassdoor, right? What, what it's about is what we call is being an open company. It's saying it's empowering your employees to talk about what it's like to work there, the, the good and the bad, just letting them know that, hey, we are an open company. We embrace transparency. If you have time, could you please share your experience on Glassdoor? You can even use it as sort of an employee survey in itself mm. um, and asking them to do it. And we have actually templates on the site that employers can use that you, you send it out like, we are doing a survey on what, it, what your experience of working here. And when they complete the survey, it's actually filling out the Glassdoor review, right, and, and, and profile. So it, 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 it's finding those times. Like, yes, like Tim, Tim we had discussed, you know, on their one-year anniversary, like, happy one-year anniversary. You know, you've been here a while now. Leave a review on Glassdoor for us. You know, help us mm-hmm. recruit other people. Thank you all. Guess what? Uh, we may or may not take our last break because we have a lot more to cover here. And I'm looking at Jessica Miller-Merrill's talking points, the notes you sent me before the show. And I, here's an interesting thing I'm not sure that we have covered yet. Jessica says, I welcome sites like Glassdoor and Salary.com. And then she says, I'm going down to the next point, Jessica. The crowdsourced model puts individuals in the driver's seat. We're seeing that everywhere with Uber, Yelp, and even product reviews on sites like Amazon. More information allows for better decision making. So let's relate the crowdsourced model. Are you talking in general? about what we've been discussing, the open policy, you're an employee, what do you really think? Or talk to me, Jessica. I think that you're you're asking for many individuals to weigh in uh, to an mm-hmm. experience. So even on Uber, you are, are rating the driver. And what most don't know when they're using a driver service like Uber or Lyft, the driver is also rating the experience with the person who hired them to, to drive from point A to point B. And, and these just provide us more information and resources to hopefully make a more informed decision. Uh, think about the car market. So in the early years, I would say 70s, 60s, and even 80s, really before the Internet took hold, where you went to go to get your information about how to purchase this car and information about the car was the dealership. And often, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, you got the wool pulled over you. You ended up trusting a car salesman who wasn't looking out for your own best interest, and you ended up purchasing a lemon or paying more for a car than you should have. Enter in sites like Kelly Blue Book and these resources and, and, you know, review sites, consumer reports. They empower the individual with more information so that when they go onto that car lot, they aren't just relying on one person to help them base a decision on whether or not they should buy the second most expensive purchase of their lives, typically. And uh, they are able to uh, use many different resources to make a decision. And I feel that way about sites like Glassdoor and Salary.com and sort of this yuppification of recruiting and hiring, we're empowering the individual to look at 
all different pieces of information, it doesn't mean that they have to. Certainly, they don't need to go to those sites to make a decision if they feel like it's a, a, a good option for them without, you know, in talking with a recruiter or hiring manager, then they do so. But they have the free choice to be able to empower themselves with those resources and information to make the best decision, which, you know, your career and your career path is, you know, it's an important piece of uh, the future, uh, you know, your retirement plan. And and for most Mm -hmm. of us, uh, you know, the majority income stream uh, to be able to take care of our families. Thank you, Jessica. Tim Sackett, have to hear what you have to say about this crowdsourcing concept or this this new paradigm of everybody saying something. What do you thought? What do you think? <laughs> no, I think it's valuable. I th- you know I think it's the one. Um, like I, I I think I referenced it earlier. Um, I remember back uh, just getting out of college and you know coming back into the city I live in now and talking about getting a job with a with a, a local employer, and the only reference I had of what was going on with that employer was from my grandmother who had worked there 27 years earlier. <laughs> it, and thinking that somehow that had impact, right? Like my grandma says it's a great place to work, I better go, or she thinks it's a horrible place to work, I better not go because it's 27 years ago. I and, love and it. Otherwise, I had nobody in my network that had. Any experience with them, and so I, wow. I think it's I think it's serious. I think it's valuable for sure. Will Will Staney thoughts about that? Yeah, obviously. You know, being where I work, I'm I'm really into the power of you know giving the power to the people. You know, and I think that's really the history of our our founders and why Glassdoor is. I mean, if you think about Rich Barton, some of our, our, our co-founder, our CEO, Rob Holman, these guys started with Expedia and Zillow and taking that power of the people approach to, you know, to technology and different industries. And now, you know, we're applying it to the recruiting space too. And, and, and it's just getting started. You know, there, there's a, a lot of places where this applies and, and it becomes very valuable uh, to let people, you know, before have that information that usually wasn't in the hands of the regular Joe. Thank you, Will. I'm, you know what? I'm going to skip the break because we have nine minutes till closing. But before we go into the crystal ball predictions round, and uh, Kevin just got that from me live on the air. No, we're not taking a break. Will, I have one more uh, point from your notes that I'd like you to talk about. Let me read it now, and we'll have all of you chime in very quickly. You say, as recruiting becomes much more tightly tied to branding, HR departments need to get a lot closer to marketing departments. Wow. What are your thoughts on that, Will? Yeah, I mean, that's really just out of my own experience that, you know, anytime mm-hmm. I've been in sort of a recruiting role at a company, when I was at VMware, even at SAP, one of the first things I do when I think about I'm starting to build an employer brand for a company is I go and introduce myself to the marketing department and the PR department and especially the social media team um, to make sure our voices are on the same page. I mean, I mean, marketing, PR, recruiting all have a pretty common goal, and that's branding and, and telling a story. And I think what happens when I found when I, you know, combine efforts with marketing and PR is they've already started to build some of this infrastructure that recruiting needs to. Like they may already have software where they're monitoring conversation on social. Um, they may already have branding collateral that you could use for employer branding. And what you start to ha- what you start to realize is the marketing department started seeing what I was doing and they're like, wow, that Will is through his employer branding, showing a more human side to our brand. And, oh, my gosh, that actually applies to our consumer to, to our consumer audience, too, because then it, it, it really starts to humanize. And we're starting to find out that people want to buy products from companies who treat their people well. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then all this 
conversion started and then I started realizing I'm spending 50% of my time working on campaigns that are the end goal and ROI is to get people to apply to our jobs and to work here. But um, it had it had bigger and more powerful goals that marketing also had, which is to humanize and tell our people's story and and really brand our company overall. That it's it's all these sides: who we are as an employer, who we are as a um, you know to our customers. You know, it, it you know people take interest. You know, like you know, in, in Glassdoor because, and, and maybe check out our site because they like that we have dogs at work. You know, they like the view of the bay that we have, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then they start, well, I want to check out Glassdoor and then they become a user, you know. So our worlds collide with the marketing department, I think more so now than uh, they are with the finance department. Thank you. Guess what? We are now launching headlong into the crystal ball predictions, Ram. We've got six minutes left till the end of the show. I'm going to divide it two minutes each. Tim Sackett, I'm sure you have something to say about HR and marketing working together on employer brands. So why don't you blend that into your last two minutes? You can add that to part of your platform and then give us your predictions. 2020, Tim Sackett, can you see blue skies in the crystal ball? What will be different and will we still be talking about the Yelpification of recruiting? Tim Sackett, two minutes on the clock. Go. So, and it fits right in with uh, my crystal ball and what Will was talking about because I do believe that in 2020, the best and most, uh, the best talent acquisition departments in the industry will will report into marketing. The, you know, the head of talent acquisition will report right to the chief marketing officer in our organizations because they, they are so tied together. Recruiting is closer to marketing and sales than it is to HR. But we've always had it as part of an HR because we thought, well, legally and it's people and, you know, we do this whole transition to become employees and then there's all kinds of legalese and benefits and pay. But the reality is, is we can break those two apart and keep talent acquisition on the marketing and sales side and, and they will be more, much more effective. So for me, in my crystal ball view, is that in 2020 we'll see many more talent acquisition organizations reporting to marketing than we will into HR. Ah, thank you. Glad we had a good segue there. Just worked out that way. The beauty of live radio when it works well, right, Tim Sackett? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Will Staney, two minutes. Predictions. How far ahead can you see? Can you see blue sky in 2020? Talk to me. Oh, I don't think the sky can always be blue. Um, so I, 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 I really think that... Um, yeah, and it's actually raining in Sausalito, which it never does <laughs> right now. Um, but, I, you know, I actually, uh, when I first started at Glossar, I was reporting directly into our head of marketing and sales. And so I got to experience that, being a recruiting leader, building a recruiting organization under sales and marketing. And it, it, it worked great. I got really close with marketing. I did a lot of things. However, I think, do I think the long-term future, most companies are going to have recruiting report directly into the CMO? I don't think so. I think the, really the, the reason is, is because their internal and external customers are, are different. Uh, I think um, reporting into, you know, I, we hired our, our head of HR and then we, we now report in, into her. And what I start to realize is it's different because HR has the same internal customers as rec- recruiting does. We support the business and the people hiring, whereas your, your sales and marketing, um, they have a different audience and um, they, you know, marketing really, their internal customers are sales to drive sales, right? Not the whole business. So um, what could happen there, I think, if, if recruiting just went into sales and marketing, is I think you'd have really stellar sales and, and marketing hiring, uh, but engineering may suffer. You know, like, I, I feel mm-hmm. like you have to come from a, um, a, you know, 
from a place where you are uh, supporting the whole business. Um, so I don't know if that will happen in the future, but I, I know that I think these, these walls we have up between departments at companies are going to start becoming windows and ah. and and I think you're gonna. I, I don't think you're gonna be as as sort of like the HR team sits over here, the marketing department sits over here. I think everyone's gonna collaborate more, and I think the technology we use, both social and then internally to to collaborate, is gonna continue to remove these barriers. And it won't matter what department you're on; you're gonna work with them all. That's a good thing. Thank you, Will. Jessica, we saved exactly two minutes for you. Predictions: What do you see in your crystal ball, Jessica? Go. I, I agree with Will that HR will will ultimately still be responsible for recruiting. I, I think that a lot of the things that Will talked about, I, I am definitely in line with. Uh, one thing I don't think that we talked a lot about is the growth of the contingent workforce, and I believe that we're going to see employment branding for in contingent, so contract workers, temporary workers, professionals who are just project-based. That's really going to grow. And so in my mind, 2020 employment branding is going to be evolving. We're going to start really looking at how do we engage the contingent marketplace, which can be by 2020 uh, analysts are understanding or predicting it will be anywhere between 15 to upwards of $50 billion. And so many of us are going to be, like myself, in the free agent marketplace, moving from project to project, taking on different roles. And so employment branding will cover a lot more different things. And I believe that there will be not only just employment branding for uh, your current maybe full-time FTE employees, but also looking at your temporary and contingent workers is, is going to become a larger focus. And that is going to be very transitional because people are entering and exiting different organizations very quickly. Jessica, thank you so much. I want to say thank you to my extraordinary panel, Tim Sackett, Will Staney, Jessica Miller-Merrill, and I have to do a shout-out to Jennifer McAdams at SAP, who sponsors this Season 3 of HR Trends with Game Changers, as well as to Stephen Thorne, who's been tweeting at S. Thorne, T-H-O-R-N-E, and Sylvia Lennon. The two of them are responsible for the topics and getting the guests together and obviously did an extraordinary job with this panel. Shout-out also to Lisa Holden at Glassdoor for connecting us with Will Staney. We're glad we got to talk to you again Will and uh, Kevin and the Business Channel team, of course, today. And thanks to Eben Storm, I'm pronouncing it right, for tweeting. He is still tweeting to us about everything you are all saying. Glad to have a new tweet partner here. Uh, let's talk about the week tomorrow. Well, we're going to take a day off tomorrow, but Wednesday morning I'll be back at 11 Eastern for Coffee Break with Game Changers. Wednesday afternoon I'll be back with the Customer Edge with Game Changers. The following week on Wednesday afternoon it'll be the Internet of Things with Game Changers. Thursday at 10 a.m. It's the Future of Business season two and then the following Thursday alternates with innovating innovation with game changers if that makes you dizzy it does me too but I love to be dizzy on SAP Game Changers Radio I'm Bonnie D. Graham delighted to be here thank you so much to our tweeters and to our extraordinary guests great conversation I think there's a part two in our future here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today Bonnie D. Graham signing off I'll see you Wednesday morning bright and early on Coffee Break with Game Changers bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.